You're listening to episode four of the Mindful Productivity Podcast, and today I'm talking about why you should go for it anyway and why every effort you make actually does matter. So get ready because today's episode is going to call out whatever it is in the back of your mind that you've been hesitating on. And fair warning, by listening to this episode, you may feel incredibly inspired, motivated, and excited to take a big step forward. Change can be scary, and action steps toward known change require even more bravery. I'm ready to dive in. Let's go. Welcome to the Mindful Productivity Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Steckler, and this is the place to be to live a more mindful and productive life. If you're ready to turn daily chaos into calm and start your days with intention, then get ready to join me as we dive deep into mindful living and personal productivity. It's time to connect with your true self so you can live the life you want to live. And it all starts now. Are you looking for solid ways to live a more mindful and intentional life? I have just the thing for you. Join me in the Mindful Productivity Hub. This is my membership community and course resource library full of meditations, intention setting practices, and courses on goal setting, habit shifting, self-love, and more. Plus, it's growing every single month with more materials, and members are finding ways to experience more space, time, and productivity in their daily lives. I'd love to have you join. To find all of the info, head to mindfulproductivityblog.com and click on the green button that says join the hub. There you'll find all of the details. Make sure to use coupon code podcast to get $10 off your first month and I'll see you inside. I need to be really honest. You know, sometimes when I record these podcast episodes, I get that feeling of, oh no, like people are going to judge me. What if people don't like this podcast? What if, what if I get like some nasty email from someone or some comment on Facebook, you know, being just like, this is awful. You should quit. And you know, that hasn't happened. Will it? I don't know. You know, maybe that person will show up today and and make a comment. And have you ever noticed, too, how a lot of those people typically have, like, household objects or, like, flowers as their profile picture? Whatever. But the point is, we're always faced with fears, with what-ifs, with worries about things. And in today's episode, I really just want to tell you, whatever you have going on in your mind, whether it's big or small... Whatever thing that like immediately comes to mind when I say, here's why you should do it anyway, whatever that it thing is, whether it's trying something new, whether it's quitting your job, applying for a job, asking somebody on a date, writing that book. I always say that everybody has a book in them somewhere. Whatever it is, we're going to talk about why you should do it anyway, why you should move forward and, uh, and work with your fear and how your fear can actually be um, showing you something that you might not have been not might not have been aware of before. I think I said that right. So we always have excuses. I have lots of excuses all the time for things that uh, scare me or take me out of my cozy comfort zone. I love my comfort zone. It's great. But if I never took a step out of it, I wouldn't be doing things. I well, I, I mean, I could list all of them off, but you get it. And so let's talk about some of the most common excuses that we have, these conversations that we have with ourselves often. 
you know, whenever you're thinking about doing something or trying something, you might say things like, it's impossible, or it's going to be too hard, or I don't have enough knowledge, resources, time, or money. And I'm just going to do this valley girl voice because that's just what comes to me. I'm not saying that if if people talk like this, they can't get what they want or do what they want. This is just the the voice, the the narrative that comes out of me when I think about excuses. So, you know, another thing we might say is like, you know, other people have already done it or other people could probably do it better than me. And I'd love to know, you know, in the comments on my website or wherever, um, you know, what's your excuse? What is your excuse for not currently going after whatever it is that you really, really want? Because if you want something, you should be able to have it. If you really want something that brings fulfillment to your life, and let's like segue for a second here. I hate saying you deserve it as if we, we have this notion that we can only have things or be happy if we've worked for them and if we deserve, you know, if we deserve them, like if our actions have warranted them. Now, there's a big difference between, you know, uh, entitlement when I'm talking about this and, and that's not really where I'm going with this. What I'm saying is like we all have the right to feel happy, you know, and happiness and feeling fulfilled and feeling aligned doesn't mean that you have to spend your life doing things that you hate um, that really you know, bring out the worst in you or that make you feel less than, you know, that doesn't mean that you then deserve happiness. And, you know, what I mean here is that it's for you. It's always for you. There's never any way you should have to work for it. I hope that makes sense. And so when you're thinking about why you should go for it anyway, and what I'm challenging you on today, I, I really want you to first get clear on what that thing is. You know, um, for me, that thing was writing a book. That thing was starting a podcast, starting a blog, starting a business, um, applying for various scholarships throughout my life. Now, all of these things I'm listing are now things I'm doing. And some people could say I'm not doing them well or that I'm crushing it, right? It, you know, whatever. But the point is, is that We have to get clear on that. And I want to tell you a quick story from my personal life and then a story from the 1940s to really hit this home. And so when I was about, I think, 14, I went out to what at the time was Wild Waves. I think maybe it's like Six Flags now or something. It was out in, uh, I think it's in Federal Way in Washington. It was kind of our Disneyland because we... um, we didn't have the money growing up to, to go to Disneyland and, you know, Wild Ways was great. You know, that's fine. And um, I'm happy about it. And uh, I was okay not, you know, being surrounded by um, people in weird costumes. Like I was good with it. So we go to Wild Waves and I'm with a friend. I'm with my brother and he has a friend too. And my brother's like two and a half years younger than me, by the way. And there's this one ride there called the I-5 Dive. And uh, I think you guys, uh, you know, any Washington folks, any Pacific Northwest folks out there, I think you know what I'm talking about. I don't know if it's still there. I I don't even know if Wild Waves, if that thing's still open. I haven't been there in that area for a minute. But anyway, 
So there's this thing called the I-5 dive, and it's not included in the rides, you know, when you get a, a day pass. It's this thing you have to spend, I think it's like, I don't know, at the time it was like maybe $30 extra for uh, three people to go. And they basically strap you up in these suits, and then they put this, you kind of all lay down, and then in this big like, I don't know, kind of like pocket thing for people, a people-sized pocket. And they pull you up. 150 feet so you're basically like laying down with your face down like looking at the pavement below you to your death and then one person has to pull this ripcord and you fall you free fall for I don't know a microsecond and then you swing out and I saw that and I was like no there's no way I'm doing that and uh and then immediately without even thinking my mom goes "Ooh, I'm gonna do that so I'm, I'm like 14 right And I look at my mom, who's at that point, I don't know, in her 40s. And I'm thinking in my 14-year-old head, like, what? Like, my mom is going to do this? Okay, well, if she's going to do this, then I'm going to do it. And it was a really interesting experience because I hate heights. I am not, not a fan of heights. And so we get in there, you know, I'm getting all like jazzed. I'm getting in the little suit and... By the way, it was like me and my mom and my brother that did this. And I think I was in the middle. I can't really remember. And anyway, um, we're all kind of similar in height at this stage in life. And uh, we get we get going. They tell us all the instructions. They let us know that there's going to be a woman at the bottom that's going to count down from three. And when she puts her hand down, that's going to be, you know, the call to pull the ripcord. And uh, so we get up there and um, it's kind of, it feels secure at first because like the higher you go, the tighter this like pocket thing gets around to all of you, you know, because it's pulling you tighter and tighter, higher up into the air. So we get to the top and this woman starts counting down and I am suddenly like just filled with fear. And it was so good that I wasn't the one that had the the ripcord button or pulley because I don't think I would have pulled it. And uh, I'm so curious to know too how often that happens because I don't, I don't think they can do anything from the bottom. I think you have to pull it from the top. So I'm curious, like how many times people get like stuck up there? I have no idea. Um, What an awful, awful feeling. Anyway, so we get to the top and the woman starts counting down and I am just panicked. My whole body is like fight or flight, right? And she gets to one and she throws her hand down and my mom goes oh no it's not working and I go what and then she pulls it and I we we fall and like I think I'm gonna die I think I'm gonna hit the pavement and this is the end of my life and like why we decided to like volunteer for our death I have no idea and we're falling and I'm screaming and then you know it catches us and we swing out over like you know this little crowd of people that's waiting to go next and we get down, I am shaking, and the guys that are working there go, uh, yeah, so we've all been working here for like five years, and we've never heard someone ever scream that loud or scream like with such a blood-curdling scream before, so yeah, uh, congrats on that. And um, I, I tell this story because it's like, I didn't think that I could do that, and I didn't think that I would be able to do that until I was challenged to do it because my mom was doing it and I you know my ego was like no there's no way like if my mom's gonna do it I have to do it and 
Sometimes we need that nudge. You know, we get in our heads that we can't do something or that we're not brave enough. Um, you know, side note, I, I wouldn't do it again. Like, I'm good. I'm good. I've, I've experienced that in my life. But I did, I did definitely have a lot of excuses in my head before I, like, threw them all out the window because I wanted to, you know, upstage my mom at the time. And, uh, and she really upstaged me because she was really awesome about it and really uh, brave. And I don't even think she screamed. So props to her. But we often come up with excuses or we often have, you know, limiting beliefs about what we think we're capable of or how good we'll be at something. And so to share this like second story with you, um, back in the 1940s, the record for running a mile was just over four minutes. I think it was like four minutes and one second. And I mean, for over a decade, this was like kind of the the barrier, like you know, doctors and people were like, you know, you can't, humans can't run faster than four minutes. It's, it's physically impossible. Nobody can do it. Like, nope, that's it. Like, don't try because you won't get, you won't be any faster than four minutes. And, uh, but Roger Bannister wanted to really prove everyone wrong. And he wanted to prove for himself that it could be done. And in May of 1954, he did. And he ran a mile, the first recorded mile at three minutes and 59 seconds. I think it was like 0.4 seconds or something, 59.4. What's incredible about that is that he really had to do some incredible mindset work. Um, I'm sure there's, you know, articles that go in more in depth and I'll, I'll post a link that goes, that does a really great job telling the story better than I just did. But what's really amazing is that after he did that, after he ran a mile in under four minutes, people started doing it like dozens of people within the next six months eight months a year were able to run a mile in under four minutes and what we believe about our capability is ultimately what we will do or not do the beliefs that we have around what we're capable of um, or how well we'll do something will ultimately decide the outcome and It's because we will put in a different amount of effort depending on what our belief is, right? Like, you know, it's, there's something to be said and, you know, we could talk about like the difference between cockiness and confidence and, you know, how to best utilize confidence and not be arrogant about our decisions. But there is something to be said about having an unwavering belief about your ability to do something. And One thing that's really interesting is that, you know, I I recently wrote a a book, it's a journal, and um, it's going to be published, it's going to be in some bookstores, and I've had a lot of people say, oh my, well, what? How did you do that? Like, how did you, you must have had, like, something magical happen, you know? And I go, no, like, you know, I mean, you could do the same thing, you could write a book, you could get it published, Um, and people go, oh, I don't think so, and that's the thing is that when we do something anyway, in spite of our beliefs, we really can make things happen. And, you know, it's crazy. And there's this really amazing episode and of uh, that Marie Forleo, Forleo did with Elizabeth Gilbert on her uh, program, Marie TV. It's on YouTube. And I'll, I'll link this episode in the show notes as well. And uh, she talks with Elizabeth Gilbert about, um, you know, writing. And uh, 
And if you don't know Elizabeth Gilbert wrote Eat, Pray, Love, an accomplished author, an amazing human being. Um, and she, she was saying, you know, as being a writer, being an artist, being a creative, you have to keep going because you're always going to feel like, you know, someone else could do this better or someone else has already done this. And here's the, the real quick side note too. Whatever it is that you want to do, I can pretty much guarantee you that someone else has done it. And I can even tell you that someone else might do it better than you or already has. But that doesn't matter because you haven't done it. And so it's also worth considering before I go into this, talking about this interview that they did, it's worth considering too, you know, the reasons for wanting to do something, you know, and really getting to that place of intrinsic you know, desire, wanting to do it for yourself, not wanting to do it just to please other people or just to impress other people, you know, weighing the worst case scenario, something, you know, one of my goals, I've never like publicly uh, said this, but one of my goals in life is I want to do like a uh, stand-up comedy session at like a comedy club, like at an open mic. I'm pretty sure I would bomb, but I want to do it because I want like the experience of it and there's part of me that thinks like "Ooh, what if I just got like one person to laugh really hard like that would be really cool um but then I also think about like what if I did it and I bombed and no one laughed and maybe they even told me like hey Sarah can can you get off stage like we've got other people here that are like you know good at this um it would still be an experience you know and so sometimes it's important to do things anyway not just to do them to succeed at them, but to do them because you want to experience what it might like, what it might be like to fail at them. And think about that for a minute. What if you did things? What if you tried things for the sake of knowing what it feels like to fail at them? What would change then? What would change if your expectation wasn't to be super perfect with something, but to instead just have an experience? and see what you're capable of. See what happens. You know, I I always admire it in, uh, you know, like those reality TV shows and stuff. Like, I'm a big fan of watching reality TV to kind of like unwind and stop working and get my mind off things. And uh, one of my shows that I watch every now and then is Married at First Sight, which, um, gosh, it's so addictive. Basically, these people um, volunteer to get matched and then marry somebody. Like, the first time they meet them and you know they always have them do stuff on on their honeymoon or whatever and you know like go surfing or scuba diving or try something new and most of the time you know they haven't done these things before or they haven't wake you know done wakeboarding or something and so they're they're up there and they're falling and they're laughing or you know sometimes they're getting frustrated but the point is like they're not doing these things because they want to be like a pro surfer or they want to like you know, be perfect at it. They're doing it for the experience. And so when you think about whatever it is that you really want, you know, I, it's worth considering what about the experience do you want to, what about the experience is different than the outcome. And if you haven't listened to the last episode, episode three, where I talk about outcomes versus process, I dive a little bit deeper into some of these things, you know, things to consider along the way, but it it plays very well here too. When 
you take away the expectation, when you embrace the experience, things change. And it's, it's worth confronting too. If you are, let's say you're the, uh, you want to paint and let's say you've never done it before and you want to like enter a contest or go to a painting party. And let's say you have the worst painting there. Like it's hands down bad. Like it's not even an, a subjective thing anymore. People are just like, Ooh, that, that's the worst. Like you didn't even get the sun right. Like, is that a tomato? What, what even happened? You still did it. And that's the worst that happened. And you still had in it. You still, you still had. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> you still had an experience. So to get back to this interview with Marie Forleo and Elizabeth Gilbert, ultimately, Elizabeth shares that if you want to do something and you want it, you know, more than anything, or you know that the challenge of it is going to bring joy to your life, whatever that may be, you have to get clear on what your crap sandwiches are. She didn't say crap, but that's what we're going to say here, guys. You have to get clear on what they are. And then you have to be ready to eat them like willingly, like, because here's the thing. When you know that what you have to do to get what you want, when you know what you have to do to get what you want, then the barriers to getting there don't really look like barriers anymore because you want those challenges and those barriers because you know that they are going to lead you to getting what you want. So when you know what those crap sandwiches are, you're like, hey, I'm ready. Let's go. I think she even said something like, you know, um, hey, you going to eat that? <laughs> because I know that if I eat that and if I deal with that, I'm going to get closer to the goal that I ultimately want. And here's the thing, too. Things don't have to always be all or nothing. In fact, every effort that you make towards something actually matters because it's propelling you forward. You know, sometimes I look back at little things, I do little steps and I'm like, it doesn't really matter. Like, for example, and this is just a weird example, but like I have a bullet journal, right? And I love it, but I haven't actually filled up one moleskin bullet journal like the whole way. And I keep thinking, like, why am I even doing this? Like, I'm not being super consistent with it and it's never going to get filled up. But then every time that I write a page or I do something, it does get done. And the same thing happened with the the book the journal that I'm publishing I never thought that I was going to actually get it done and then every time I wrote you know a number of pages and I got one of the the sections done I got that much closer and I actually wrote out in my bullet journal like a bunch of blocks uh, to my to my goal to my outcome and then every time I wrote one page I would I would color it in and that can be a really handy way to to track your progress too is If there's something that you're feeling like you shouldn't do it because you're not going to be the best at it or you're not prepared enough or you don't have, you know, enough knowledge or resources or whatever, like if you can get clear on what the micro steps are or like how many steps you have to go, like sometimes it can feel daunting, you know, to to feel like, okay, like uh, I've got to take this many steps, you know, to, to hit 10K in a day. And that can feel like a lot. But then like, you know, you walk your dog and you've, you've got 3000 under your belt. So if you can map out something and you can give yourself a visual representation of it, then sometimes that can be a really powerful way to track your progress and see how far you've already went and how important all of your effort is. You know, even if you're not perfectly consistent, you're still making progress every day, every time that you do make effort. 
I also want to touch on the aspect of fear, the fear that comes up when we think that we're not good enough to do something, when we don't know that people will support us, when we really want, we really have the strong desire to try something, but we just aren't because of fear. And there's this big thing I keep seeing where people say, you know, conquer your fear, punch fear in the face, you know, and that's great. But I think there's something even more powerful about walking hand in hand with your fear and having compassion for all of your emotions and saying, you know what, fear, maybe some of the things that you're saying are right. Maybe some of those things are true. Maybe I am going to bomb if I go do a stand-up comedy open mic night. Maybe people are going to boo me off stage. Maybe that is true, but I'm not going to know that until I do it. And when you when you walk hand in hand with fear, you're not pushing it to the side. Instead, you're saying, hey, let's go together. Let's go. And that can be a little bit easier instead of it'd be like if you're getting in your car and fear is definitely, you know, trying to get in the passenger seat with you and it keeps like jumping up on your dashboard and it keeps trying to open your passenger door and you keep being like, no, get out of here, fear. I'm punching you in the face. It's going to make driving really difficult. But if you say, all right, get in the car, but you can't drive. I'm in the driver's seat. You can sit there. You know, it, it makes it a little bit easier. And so Move forward with your fear in whatever way that looks. And whatever it is today, this week, this month, this year, whatever has been on the back burner for you in terms of something that you want to do, I challenge you to think about why you're not doing it anyway. Why you're not taking action toward a goal or an experience that's going to ultimately make you grow as a person. There's no reason you can't do it. It's been so much fun having you on this episode today. If you'd like to see the show notes and get some of the links to some of the interviews and information I was talking about, head to mindfulproductivityblog.com slash podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next week. The show is over.